When I was 19 years old, I did a summer internship at my church, and my pastor wanted me to read this book uh, that I sensed had really shaped and influenced his own thinking, uh, particularly about how to understand uh, the scripture as a whole and interpret it. And so he wanted me to read this book, and then after I had read it, write a summary of what I had read as well as what I had learned. I don't think he realized that I really wasn't all that smart. The book's title was A Single But Sizable Word. In fact, I found the book off my shelf. I brought it with me today. Here it is. Dispensationalism. Dispensationalism. Six syllables, 17 letters. Whatever that was, it sounded important. 150 pages into the book, I still had no idea what it actually was. But nonetheless, I set out to write about it. You've probably had that feeling in school. I have no idea what I'm putting on this page. Um, that's what I was doing. And after reading my report, I think realizing that I had no idea that I was writing, what I was writing about, my pastor invited me into his office and sat down with me and broke everything that I had just read in that book and didn't understand. He broke it down into two big ideas. He took something that seemed complex to me that I didn't grasp the first time that I read it, and he just made it really simple. I thought to myself, though I didn't say this out loud, you know, we, we could have had this conversation like 200 pages ago, and I wouldn't have even needed to read the book. It would have been great. Don't you appreciate when people take things that are complex or potentially complex, or you don't necessarily understand them, and they make them simple for you so that you can grasp them and understand them and, and just kind of get them? I could be wrong, but I think that many people feel that the Christian life is somewhat complex and complicated. I mean, after all, God has given you uh, this whole book. I don't know about you, but when I set out to uh, try to read this book, I try to do it every year. When I set out to do that, it feels daunting. This is a big book, and you probably don't feel like you understand it all. I'm sure there are huge portions of this that, that you don't understand or you don't understand to the degree that you would like to. And then when it comes to actually living the Christian life, I think sometimes we feel like we don't really know how to do that or how to do it well or when we should do this or that or, or whatever the case may be. It often just feels and seems complicated. The Christian life is big and there's a lot to it. And in our text today, Jesus takes all of that, uh, the Christian life, And he simplifies it down, not to two big ideas, but actually to two simple words. Follow me. The single greatest calling on your life is to follow Jesus. And if you get that, if you start to grasp and understand that, you will really have the essence of the Christian life figured out. Jesus said, follow me. The setting of Mark chapter 1, 16 to 20, is the Sea of Galilee. Uh, if you don't know much about the Sea of Galilee, it was, uh, it's approximately 20 kilometers in length uh, by something like 12 kilometers wide, and it was teeming, and I'd say still is teeming with life. In the first century, it would have had about six ports and was surrounded by fishing towns and villages. To look at the Sea of Galilee was actually to look at a large portion of the economy, not just locally, but even beyond. The sea would have been full of fishing boats that were large enough to hold, say, six to twelve men, and yet small enough to be pulled ashore by hand. One historian recorded that 230 fishing boats 
were commandeered during the war in Galilee, which took place around AD 68, so shortly after the time of Christ. So the setting of our text in, in this passage is a sea that is absolutely full of life. And it's full of boats, and it's full of men, and it's also full of money. And with that in mind, let's read Mark chapter 1, verses 16 to 20. Mark records that passing along the Sea of Galilee, he, Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea. Why on earth were they doing that? They were fishermen. Verse 17, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The invitation, uh, the command that Jesus gave to these four men is the exact same invitation and command that Jesus gives to you and I. Follow me. And there. In the verses surrounding that little phrase, Jesus just in a snapshot tells us, here's what the Christian life is. And so here today, I'd like to work through four simple summaries of the Christian life. Can we just state it really simply? So summary number one, the Christian life is a call to give yourself to the single greatest relationship. Jesus calls people to an intense and personal relationship with him. Jesus calls you to that. Jesus says to you, come and walk with me and walk beside me. Come and be with me all the time. That's the invitation. Jesus wants and expects to be with you. You might say, me? I'm not particularly important or enjoyable. Yes, you. Jesus sees you. And he knows who you are. And it's encouraging to note that this calling to follow Jesus, it's initiated by Jesus. Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee and two times the text emphasizes that Jesus saw something. That Jesus saw these men in their everyday lives. And then after seeing them, he called to them. Look at verse 16. It says, Passing along the Sea of Galilee, he saw... Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And then down in verse 19, going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets, and immediately he called to them. Uh, the previous verses uh, put Jesus in the context, context of, of being a king. He's announcing that the kingdom of God is near, and he is that king of that kingdom. And the king has seen something now in this text that the king wants. Jesus sees these men in their ordinary, everyday lives, and he wants to be with them. And what the king wants in this passage is exactly what the king gets. And that's how it should be. You know, just as Jesus saw these men in their very ordinary, even mundane, everyday lives, Jesus sees you and yours. Uh, your life may be very simple. It may be very ordinary. There may not be a whole lot special about it in your mind. You may not think that you're that important. And just as Jesus saw these men in their lives, Jesus sees you and yours. And do you know what Jesus wants? Jesus wants you to be with him. 
This calling is initiated by Jesus, and this calling, this invitation is full-time. Jesus says to them, follow me. And the idea is, follow me all the time, everywhere, down every road, wherever I go, you go. Wherever I lead, you follow. Come be with me. Jesus wants you to follow him everywhere, no matter how long or hard the road, no matter how dangerous or difficult it may be, and no matter where it leads. I think in essence, Jesus wants significant quality time with you. The Christian life is a call to give yourself to the single greatest relationship. Think about the way that things should change in a person's life when they get married. And I think this is something that often comes up uh, with men in particular, uh, say in premarital counseling, and sometimes after even a couple has got married in, in marriage counseling, you know, your wife is probably going to want to spend time with you. Significant quality time with you. And you need to make sure that that's a top priority. That, that you're actually spending time together and you're not running off doing all this and all that. You're never actually spending time with one another. That's one of the reasons that you got married because you want to be with each other. And this, this relationship is even more important than that. Your relationship with Jesus. Jesus wants significant quality time with you. And he offers that to you. And I, I just want to ask you, are you seizing that? And are you enjoying that relationship? Just for what it is. Jesus wants and expects to be with you. And Jesus wants and expects to teach you. Uh, the call to follow me is a call to a full-time apprenticeship, we might say, with Jesus. It's a call to a leader-learner relationship. Jesus wants you right beside him and right behind him, constantly looking over his shoulder to watch and learn. He wants you to be his, we might say, disciple. Jesus wants you to learn from his thoughts and his actions and his words and his deeds. He wants you to be with him and he wants you to be like him. And he wants to teach you that. He wants to teach you his craft, his trade, his life. He wants to teach you everything. My grandfathers, uh, I don't think, went to school after high school. I'm not even certain if they finished high school. But what they did, uh, once they became men, they also became apprentices which basically meant that they learned their trade by shadowing someone else at work. For, for both, both of my grandfathers, they ended up in factories and the automobile industry. And both of them learned their craft. They learned their skill as apprentices. They showed up at work and they looked over someone's shoulder and they watched and they learned and they watched and they learned and they watched and they learned until eventually they had mastered their craft. And that's what is described in this text. When Jesus says, follow me, he's saying, come be with me. Come be my disciples and I want to teach you. Learn from me by shadowing me. And just how far does Jesus want this learning to go? Well, further and deeper than, than you may even be able to imagine. Jesus wants to do a whole lot more actually than simply teach you some things to put into your brain. Jesus wants and expects to transform you. Uh, you know how you've got this crazy, little, fuzzy, not-so-very-attractive caterpillar inching along the ground that eventually wraps itself up in a cocoon and disappears for a while? 
And then over a period of time, a great transformation occurs in that little insect. And eventually out pops this beautiful butterfly that's no longer inching and crawling along the ground, but is flying in the air. A drastic, radical transformation occurs. Jesus wants to do something like that with you. I want to take you, you are this, and I want to transform you into something totally different and way better over a period of time. Let's ask this question about our text and these men. Who were these guys? Who were these men? In other words, what's the caterpillar stage? Let's try to get at their identity. The end of verse 16 says this. It says, they were fishermen. That's who they are. Why are they throwing nets into the sea? Well, they are fishermen. Few things define us like our full-time work, whether it be inside or outside of the home. This is what these men did. This is who these men were. They were fishermen. That's their identity. And verse 16 essentially says that they were something. And then verse 17, Jesus says, follow me and quite literally, I will make you to be something else. Here's how it works. If you follow Jesus, he will, over a period of time, transform you into what he wants you to be. And by the way, this invitation always comes to people who are not yet what they should be, or what they will be. It comes, we might say, to caterpillars. It's a come-as-you-are invitation. This is not turn yourself into a butterfly and then come to Jesus. No, it's you, you come to Jesus in your current state and you follow him. This invitation also teaches that who and what you become depends upon your following of Jesus. It's contingent on that. Transformation is both a process that happens over a period of time as well as a byproduct of following Jesus. The transformation is the byproduct of being with and following Jesus. Jesus does the transforming. Your job is the humble, submissive shadowing. There is something that you are not. But God will make you into what he wants you to be. And critical to that transformation is very simply following Jesus. And again, this is a process. Now, these four men in this text, we go, wow, these guys are awesome. I mean, Jesus said, follow me. And it's like they drop their nets and they follow him. And everything that we see about the, these men in this passage, it's like really good. But you keep reading the gospel of Mark or any other gospel, we're going to very quickly realize that these guys have some problems. They've got some shortcomings. They've got some things they don't get or understand. You're like, really, guys? Like, yeah. Uh, these guys are struggling along the way. And we're going to see their shortcomings, but we're going to see Jesus progressively work on them and progressively teach them and progressively change them. Discipleship is a messy, sometimes even ugly and embarrassing process. The Christian life is a call to give yourself to the single greatest relationship, though. It's a command with a promise. Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you to be what you are not. The second simple summary of the Christian life. The Christian life is a call to give yourself to the single greatest task. What is that task exactly? Well, it's twofold. And Jesus summarizes it in verse 17. Very simply, he says, follow me. 
and I will make you become fishers of men. Very simply, uh, the greatest task in all the world is to follow and fish. Follow and fish. Follow and fish. There's no greater task in all the world than to follow Jesus. That is what life is all about. That is what the Christian life is all about. It's being with, loving, enjoying, serving, talking with, and learning from Jesus. There's no greater task in all the world than to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And there's no greater task in all the world than to fish for men. Look at verse 17. It says, And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. What does it mean to fish for men? I would propose to you that it is the exact same thing that Jesus did from the shore of Galilee that day. There's a sense in which standing along the shores of the Sea of Galilee, Jesus fished these men literally right out of the water to come and to be with him and to follow him. Fishing for men is the same thing we might say as making disciples of Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing in this text. He's saying, come, be my disciple. And when he says, I'll make you fishers of men, Jesus says, I'm going to teach you to help people know and follow me. God wants you to gather people out of a sea and help them learn how to spend their lives following Jesus. These men may have already believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Other gospels seem to indicate that that's perhaps what, have already, what had already happened. But they needed to learn to follow Jesus. God wants you to tell people about Jesus and then help them learn to follow him. That, that, that's what this fishing for, for men idea is all about. God wants to transform you and others, not into butterflies, but the fishers of men. So let's talk some more about fishing for men. Fishing for men is a task that, as I already mentioned, is the byproduct of following Jesus. When people follow Jesus, fishing is naturally what happens. We might even go so far as to say that if fishing isn't happening, then there's actually something wrong in the following. When Jesus makes us in Jesus makes us into fishers when we follow. Followers become fishers. Jesus says, This is how it happens. You follow me, and I will make you to be fishers. Those who spend time with the greatest man, Jesus Christ, will inevitably spend time with other people. Fish, as this text describes them. You cannot spend time with Jesus Christ without learning to care about men. That's just how this works. If you follow in the footsteps of Jesus, you will care about people. Fishing for men is also a task along similar lines that is relational in nature. Jesus said, I will make you to become fishers of what? Of men. And men is being used there generically just for people. Men and women, children. If you spend time following Jesus, he is going to teach your eyes to see and to care about people. The Christian life is a people life. Uh, When Jesus boils the Christian life down, he boils it down to him and people. Him and people. He says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. Me and men. The Christian life is an intensely relational life. You know, the Christian life is not an intellectual exercise. The Christian life is not how much you know in your brain and how much information you can store up there about the Bible. 
The Christian life is not two hours on a Sunday morning or in the case of today, the afternoon. The Christian life is not a litany of church programs where we're running around super busy doing this and doing that and doing all kinds of things. The Christian life is not a list of do's and don'ts. Jesus said the Christian life, it is me and it is men. People. I would suggest that if you want a good idea of how well you personally and our church collectively are doing at following Jesus, then don't look at numbers, don't look at hours, don't look at programs, don't look at intellects or any of those things by themselves. Look at relationships with Jesus Christ and the relationships that people have with one another. Look at the relationships that are being formed or not formed in the body and outside the body. And the relationships that are being pursued and the relationships that aren't pursued. You want an idea of how healthy you are and how healthy our church is? Then look at our relationships with Jesus and our relationships with other people. A culture of spiritual life and health is a culture where people are following Jesus themselves and then turning around and helping others start as well as grow in their following of Jesus. Jesus says, you want the Christian life? It's like this. It's me and it's men. You grasp that and you will grasp the essence of the Christian life. Further, fishing for men is a task that should define you. Jesus changed the identity of these men. And he wants to do the same for you. He wants to lay claim to your very identity as well. So that 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, no matter what it is that you are doing, no matter where it is that you're at, and no matter who it is that you're with, your life is a life that's about Jesus and your life is a life that's about making disciples. It's about Jesus and it's about other people and them knowing him personally and growing as they follow him. Me and men, Jesus says. Fishing for men is the task. Uh, When God placed man in the Garden of Eden, he told him to do two things. You may remember uh, a verse, one of the early verses in Genesis where God told Adam, I'm placing you in the garden. Here's what I want you to do there. I want you to work the garden and I want you to keep it. Work and keep. In other words, Adam, you ought to be doing something positive with yourself. You should be working proactively to build and cultivate something. Be proactive in your work. And number two, keep. Okay, you're, you're going to build and try to cultivate something. But, but after you've done that, then you need to keep. The idea is guard or preserve, maintain what you've worked for. Keep it in that existence. Preserve and maintain what you've, work, what, what you've worked for. As Jesus walks along the Sea of Galilee in Mark chapter 1, verse 16, he sees these four men doing exactly what God called man to do from the very beginning. And it's beautiful. They're working, and they're working hard. In verse 16, Simon and Andrew are casting a net into the sea. They're trying to catch fish. They're making a living. They're doing something productive. They're working. And you look further down in the passage, we see with the second set of men that they're keeping. In verse 19, James and John are mending their nets. They're, they're maintaining what they've built. And again, the scene is a very good one. It's a very beautiful scene, but it's incomplete. 
Jesus has called you to something more. Jesus has called you to a life that's bigger than working and keeping. Jesus said, it's me and it's men. Jesus has called you to fish for men. It is the task and it should define your life even more than your work. It's who we are. It's who God wants us to be. We're fishers. And so I want to challenge you, don't settle for a life of merely working and keeping. Many people, they'll go through their entire life and they'll be content with that. Jesus said, I made you for more. Me and men. Each year I go on a little fishing trip with a friend. Uh, and here in Alberta, we typically fish for pike and walleye. And we always compete on our, our little fishing trip to see, uh, n- number one, who can catch the biggest fish, typically a pike. And who can catch the most fish? And the funny thing is with fishing is that you could do the exact same thing day after day, hour after hour, moment after moment with drastically different results. It's like you fish one day and it's terrible. You fish the next day, it's awesome. Every time you drop your line in the water, you catch something. And you didn't change anything. You just did the same thing both days. One thing is clear though. You're not going to catch any fish if your line is not in the water. So in our little competition, if you want to win, you've got to make sure that your line is in the water as much as possible, preferably more than the other guys. So, I mean, if if he casts his line out there and just so happens to get caught on a weed or (laughs) thinks he's got a fish and the pike turns and goes and bites his line in two and (laughs) off it goes, oh, that's terrible. (laughs) So sad for you. I hope it takes you 30 minutes to get your line back in order as I keep trying to reel them in. You've got to have your line in the water. And as you set out to fish for men, you're going to have some long, seemingly unfruitful days. And you're going to have days that are really exciting. And you're going to have discouraging and even painful days as you seek to invest your life in people. There will be highs and lows in that, guaranteed. And you're going to have some of the best days of your life. And through all the ups and downs, I think what God wants you to do is you just keep fishing. Keep your line in the water. Yeah, there's going to be good days. There's going to be bad days. There are going to be emotional highs where you're just celebrating with another person and there's going to be another day where that person hurt me. That person disappointed me. That person stabbed me in the back or said this or that. Just keep fishing. Follow and fish. God will bless the results. The Christian life is a call to give yourself to the single greatest task to follow and fish. Me and men, Jesus says. Would you pause for a moment and just think about your life and how that is going? How's the following going? How's the fishing going? What can you do to better focus on following Jesus? So this isn't some duty or something you're checking off. You're you're being with Jesus and enjoying him and learning from him and growing from him and doing that consistently. What can you do to better focus on fishing for men so that they're hearing the gospel of Jesus? And people who have already trusted in in Jesus, you're helping them grow and follow him and learn what their Bible says and how to obey it and how how to live like Jesus. What can you do to better invest yourself in other people? Maybe a more specific question. Who can you invest time with so that they might come to Jesus? And who can you invest time with so that they might follow Jesus? Our elders here at Beaumont Baptist Church hope that you will find programs and you will find places to serve uh, in here at Beaumont Baptist Church. Uh, We should all be doing that. 
Right? There, there are things that God wants to happen here, and we just need to all be part of the process in making that happen and go, so to speak. But you know, beyond that, what we really want to see value and, and, and want to pursue is relationships. And we hope that that would be the heartbeat of our church. People who realize, hey, I want to serve in whatever's going on here. But so much of the Christian life is outside of Sunday between 10 and 12. It's people. And it's time with them. And it's conversations with them. And it's investing in them. And it's weeping with them and crying with them and rejoicing with them. And and talking and listening and sharing truth and struggling together. Trying to follow Jesus together. That's the heart of the Christian life. Jesus said it is me and it is men. A third summary of the Christian life. The Christian life is a call to give yourself to the single greatest community. Uh, Verse 18 says that Simon and Andrew left their nets and they followed Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus' circle went from one person himself now to three. He's got these two men that are with him. And then in the next few verses, it will go from three to five. Jesus is forming the community of the kingdom. You know, when Jesus asks you to follow him, he asks you to do that with other people. He's not like, hey, how about you come follow me and it'll just be you and I. No. He invites you to follow him with others. And I think it's just a simple but good reminder that the Christian life is best walked together, not alone. Are you following Jesus with other people? Are you following Jesus with a band of brothers or sisters? Are you following Jesus with a local church? Again, if you want to know how healthy you are, you should look at that. If you're walking the Christian life alone, that is not what Jesus has called you to. And it's extremely dangerous. Follow Jesus with others. The Christian life is a call to give yourself to the single greatest community. And number four, the Christian life is a call to do all of these things with the single greatest commitment. All in. In verse 18 and 20, both sets of these men followed Jesus, but that actually required them doing something else. In addition, leave. Walk away from something else. Following Jesus requires total commitment. Let's look at this passage and just see what that required of these men. Look at verse 18. It says, after, after Jesus had called to them, verse 18 says, immediately they left their nets and followed him. And then skip down to verse 20. And immediately he called them and they left. Their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants, and followed him. You're probably not going to be able to walk with and behind Jesus without walking away from something else. Jesus demands full allegiance. It's all in. It's total commitment. No room for mixed loyalties. What did Jesus see? If you look back at verses 19 and 20, what did Jesus see? It draws our attention to the fact, uh, as, with both sets of these men, that Jesus saw something. Okay, Jesus is walking along the seashore. What is it exactly that Jesus sees in verses 19 and 20? Two men? James and John? No, 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 no. Jesus saw much more than that. Jesus saw a family. 
Jesus saw a profitable business with employees that was pulling money right out of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus saw Zebedee and sons, the family and the business. And perhaps that label, Zebedee and the sons, was painted across the top of their fishing boat or boats. Zebedee and sons. The boat, the gear, the hired servants, the the market that all these people are making a living from. These men have probably done okay for themselves. But it's going to be very, very hard for them to hold their nets in their hands and follow Jesus. That's going to be hard. It does not appear from other passages in the gospel accounts that these men sold their boats or even that they sold their nets and walked away from their family responsibilities. That's not the idea that we get. What's clear, though, is that they gave Jesus their full allegiance and they let him change their identity so that everything else becomes secondary. Jesus takes precedence over livelihood and family. You know, there's something that's far, far better than your trade. And there's something that's far better than your career. There's something better than your family. Can you imagine that? Well, maybe, maybe that's not hard to imagine. <laughs> but maybe you think, I love, I'm like, I just love my family so much. There's something better than your family. There's something better than your comfort and wealth. There's something better than fishing for fish. Nothing compares to following Jesus and fishing for men. And the simple fact is your best day at your trade will not hold a candle to your best day fishing for men. It just, it cannot compete. So you're heir to the family business like James and John. You've caught a lot of fish. You've made a lot of money. You have a lot of boats and you've got a lot of nets. You have a lot of hired workers. That's great. That's awesome. So what? Not saying that's bad. But again, many people spend their entire lives enterprising without ever making their life about heavenly enterprises. And Jesus is saying, I made you for so much more than that. You think making money and succeeding in business is fun. Try making disciples. It's better. It's so much better. Here's how it should be for all of us. Before I'm a fisher or whatever it is that I do, I'm a follower of Jesus. And before I'm a mother or before I'm a father, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before I'm a husband or a wife, I'm a Jesus follower. Before I'm a tradesperson or a boss or a business owner, I'm a follower of Jesus. Before I'm a student, I'm a follower. Jesus comes first and Jesus is everything. Everything is secondary to him. That's the Christian life. Jesus starts with four very ordinary men. They're fishermen. They probably smell like fish. They're normal guys making a go of it at fishing. How many people have those four men multiplied in today? We, to today? We sit here 2,000 years later and Jesus starts with four men. How many has that multiplied into today? Because those four men left their nets, followed Jesus, and they started fishing for men. And again, it was a messy, very broken, flawed process. Have you ever thought about this? What if those four fishermen hadn't left their nets? I really like fishing. I really like dad. My life is good. I suspect that you and I would not be here in this room today. 
Who are you first? Are you a follower of Jesus or are you something else? Don't settle for nets, boats, and fish. Those things may be great. You may have those things, but those things are not life. And they're especially not the Christian life. Many people are content to live a good life that misses the point. And Jesus says, he looks these men in the eye and he says, guys, it is me and it is men. Live your life for that. The Christian life is a call to do all of these things with the single greatest commitment. As we wrap up, I just want to ask you this. Are there nets and boats and people between you and Jesus standing in the way? Things that are, you're holding on to that actually, if you would leave those things in the, in the sense that these men did, in the appropriate sense, you could really follow Jesus. Based on what this text says, I think the advice would be, Walk away. Follow Jesus. The single greatest calling on your life is to follow Jesus. Jesus beside, Jesus before, nothing between. That is the Christian life. Follow me. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes at this time with me? I want to encourage you uh, just in the next few moments there in your seat to pray to the Lord, however he's leading. Maybe you want to take inventory there of your life in your seat and uh, just pray and ask the Lord to give you grace and help. Uh, maybe, you're, maybe you've never even thought about following Jesus and you want to do that today. And if, if that's the case for you, realize that Jesus is Lord and he's God. Maybe just there in your seat you want to say, God, I want to, I want to follow Jesus my life is yours. Will you forgive me of my sins? And I want to follow Jesus, the Savior of the world, who died on the cross and rose from the grave for me. Uh, you pray however the Lord might be leading you in this moment, and I'll close us here shortly. Father, thank you for this simple text. I, I think one that many of us have read for years and just, oh yeah, that's when Jesus called the disciples. Um, but such a profound